0: As working moms, our brains are going a mile a minute, constantly thinking about the things that need to get accomplished and the decisions that need to be made. For my client, Kathy, these constant to-dos, the second guessing of herself, the need to make sure she bought the right products for her kids and was adequately prepared for every meeting and every project, this constant chatter in her head was preventing her from being happy and accessing happiness, and being present in the way that she wanted to in her life. In coaching, Kathy learned several tools to help manage all of the thoughts swimming about in her head and all of the overwhelm that came with them, and I invited her on this podcast to share her top four. You are not going to want to miss all of the nuggets of wisdom Kathy has to offer. You ready? Let's get to it. Welcome, Kathy. I'm so excited to be talking to you today. Thanks for being here with me. Me too.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. Kathy has been a client of mine for the last year. We just finished kind of wrapping up a year of coaching together. I coach with clients for six months and then I give them the option if they want to continue. And so Kathy continued for another six months. So here we are today. And I invited Kathy on this podcast because A lot of the work that we did together is we got her brain to a place that she felt so much more in control of what she was thinking and how she was feeling. And over the course of our coaching together, we started to call it Calm Kathy. (laughs) And that was like our pet name for her on some level. It was such a great name because it really showed where her brain was at before in this very frantic, overwhelmed, constantly moving, constantly going, constant to-do lists going in her head. And it was really overtaking her happiness. So when she started coaching, a big goal of ours was just to help her figure out how to calm down her brain so that she can be in control, that she could take the action that she wanted to take, that she could be more productive, so she could be more present, so that she could Feel more joy, you know, all of these things that come when we learn how to like control of the chatter that's going on in our head. And she just has so much to share about her journey. I'm so excited for this interview. Thank you for being here. Thank you. You're welcome. I want to start by talking a bit about where you were at when we first started coaching. I just kind of want to paint a clearer picture of this because I think every mom in particular can relate to this. <laughs> And so I'm going to actually just quote you from the very first thing that you ever wrote for me about yourself. And I asked you this question, you know, what are your goals for coaching? What do you want to kind of get out of this time together? And what you wrote is that I don't want to be taken over by my mostly negative script in my head. I'm constantly in analysis paralysis. I'm not a confident decision maker, and I want to change that. I want to not let the growing, unprioritized to do list run me, not to let clutter trigger me into a downward spiral. And I want to be more patient with myself and my family.
1: (laughs) I'm curious, when you just hear me say that back to you, like, what are your thoughts? It certainly brings back memories of, you know, particular points in time of all those. But I think in general, I feel like I've learned and I'm still practicing how to be better at each one of those. But it feels good to hear you say those things to me and have known like, wow, like I've come really far. (laughs) Yeah, You sure have. You sure
0: have. And I know for a lot of women, they tend to be the logistic runner of the family, right? It's a default position, maybe in a defaulting back to the patriarchal society that we still live in, you know, whatever it is, women still choose to be the ones that kind of run the house. And For you, your brain was just in this place where you couldn't stop thinking about all of the things that you had to get done, that you didn't finish. It was always like measuring, you know, accomplished versus not accomplished. (laughs) Constantly had a scale in your head going around that. My guess is you probably had to-do lists everywhere on some level, from your phone to your kitchen to the work. Post-it notes everywhere. Post-it notes. Like you had lists everywhere. Yeah. There's this clutter is such a great word in your head because that's what it feels like. And there's just an inability to concentrate. Because of all of that that was running in your head, what was life like for you? Yeah, I guess I felt like I was
1: constantly like catching up. Always behind. Always behind. Yeah. Like... I could never like catch a break, you know, like, and even when I sat down at the end of the day to just like relax or like watch mindless television, as I, I like to call it, like my brain was still going like a thousand miles a minute. And I heard this thing at some like work you know, webinar where an external speaker came in they said, like, I want to move you all from barely surviving to thriving. And I thought, wow, like, I feel like I'm just trying to survive every day, right? Like, I want to feel what's what is this thriving thing like you're talking about here? Like, tell me more. What does that actually
0: mean? Yeah. (laughs) What did you think it meant? What did you think was on the other side of
1: this thriving life? Part of me thought, like, I would learn how to maybe, like, suppress all these feelings. I just, like, make them go away. Like, maybe I'll never have them or maybe I'll have some of them, Right. I honestly thought it was like about like making them go away or keeping them from happening altogether.
0: Yeah. Like if I'm always in this positive, rosy state in life, then that's the thriving state, right? All of the negative, icky stuff in life either isn't there or it doesn't bother you. And it is significantly less versus all of the good on the other side. (laughs) That's a really common thought that we have. And what we tend to do is we tend to judge all of the negative stuff as being wrong. Like something's wrong. I shouldn't be feeling bad about this or I shouldn't be having a bad day or I should be more happy. It's like we take all of the hard parts of life and we label that as being bad as if there's not supposed to be conflict or there's not supposed to be failure and there's not supposed to be growth and we should just come out of the womb and come into adulthood somehow with a completely rosy perspective and everything's fine. Right.
1: (laughs) And then if you're keeping score and you're like, wow, I have way more negative thoughts and positive ones. You're like, well, like I need more positive ones.
0: Yes. I should be more happy. So many women think I have the family. I have the kids. I have a great job. I make good money. Like I have the house. I have all of the things that I thought I wanted. And strange, this happiness thing isn't like happening for me. (laughs) What's going on? And there's kind of this dumbfoundedness. And then you head into like self-judgment. Why isn't it there? I should be. I should be. I should be. And then that makes you feel terrible. My husband and I had a date night this week and we watched this movie called Free Guy on Disney. Have you seen it yet? I haven't yet. No. It's a good... Like We laughed a lot during this movie. There's some clever thoughts to it and clever pieces of it. But he's this go-lucky character in a video game that doesn't really know he's in a video game. And he goes around saying, don't have a good day. Have a great day. (laughs) You know, like that's his little like shtick in the movie or like his character in the video game, kind of like how everybody has this little like video game shtick, right? And that's his. And he just walks around as you get to know him. He walks around with this like, everything is amazing kind of attitude. (laughs) And I kind of think that that's what we think we're supposed to be feeling at all times. I don't know if it had been introduced to you before coaching, but I remember one of the things that we talked about really early on is like, life is 50-50. 50% 50 of the time, it's supposed to feel kind of good or at least like on the neutral positive side. And 50% of the time, it's going to be like on the neutral negative side, which means you're not going to describe life as being happy. You're going to feel some neutral thoughts or you're going to feel some bad thoughts. Like That's not a problem. And I remember we even explored... Like, why would we have all of this negative emotion as human beings if we weren't meant to feel it? Like, we're supposed to avoid it all of the time. I remember your mind was just blown with this idea, like, wait, I don't have to get rid of this? I know. What are you talking about? (laughs) What were some of your thoughts when we first
1: started talking about this idea that life isn't supposed to always be rosy? Yeah. When we first started working together, the thing I was a little hung up on was like, I would put on like a facade for other people to like, and someone says, how are you? You're like, oh, I'm good. And you're like, no, you, if you could only see inside my brain and see how fast things are going, what's coming in and out, right? Like, I didn't like that I put that on. And I wanted to figure out how I could show up and be more of myself with other people, right? And not necessarily like, oh, I'm having a pretty crappy day. Like, let me tell you about it. But like, maybe it's one thing like, ah, oh, I'm really struggling with this one thing, right? Because I've realized that by like opening up to people with even just a little tidbit, They ask you a question, oh, yeah, why is that thing not going so well? And then, of course, it leads you down this path where, like, they may help you fix it or help you find someone else that can help you get, you know, some more insight into it. And I've realized that, like, that facade I was putting on is not helping me learn and grow and be a better person and to build connections with other people as well.
0: Yeah. I remember this idea that. You can just say something kind of on the negative side or something that happens to you or something that you don't like or whatever. You can just kind of say like, that sucks. I know, yeah. And like, that be it. Like just say, oh, that sucks. Not like, that sucks, it shouldn't have happened. Or that sucks, I'm a terrible person because of that happened. Or that sucks, I shouldn't be so angry at my kid. Or that sucks, like, and then add on like a self-judgment thought as if it shouldn't be there. You could just say like, that didn't go the way i hoped it would go. that sucks and you can just sit in that and not take it to the next level. like you can actually do that. and you, we called it like the that sucks moment and what we started to then talk about is like containers for that. and ultimately like in this podcast i want to like pick your brain for some of these really helpful tools that you developed in like the toolkit for yourself, we kept calling it like your tool belt <laughs> yep. and this toolkit that you were building. And this was one of them, like a container for like that sucks moments. Because I think a lot of times what we fear is that if we just allow ourselves to kind of be sad or kind of angry or like feel disappointed for a moment, we think that that's going to be with us for like ever. <laughs> then I'm just going to be disappointed forever, right? Like I can't allow myself space to feel that, right? So talk to me a a little bit about these containers that we started to create.
1: I created these kind of like there are two categories they fell into for me. One was about emotions, containers of emotions, and then containers of time, right? So the emotion one, like I think the best example was like, this was last year, but as the weather was starting to get a little bit warmer, it's lighter out later, right? Like we come around to six o'clock and we've got like a big mess in the kitchen, but I want to go outside and like ride bikes with the kids, right? So I'd send my husband out and I'd be like, you go out and I will finish the kitchen and it'll be spotless by the time. But I missed out on all that time outside. Plus, like, I would have enjoyed to go outside, too. Right. You know, that was old Kathy. She'd spend in the next hour in the kitchen and it would be completely spotless by the time they came in and they'd have, oh, guess who was outside or guess what we did. And I'm like, "Oh, I missed out on all of that. Like, that sucks. Right. But instead of now, like I can reframe that and say, like, "Okay, I'm going to go. We're all going to go outside right? And when we come back in here, this kitchen is going to be a disaster. And that is going to suck for like a minute. And then we're going to make a plan to tackle it, right? Like, you know, I'll do bath and you do this. And like, you know, things may get pushed out by 30 minutes. But you know what, I got to spend that time with my family. And actually, I got to choose what I wanted to do rather than like the dishes choosing me, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. And I remember sometimes when it came to time, one of the things we would do is we would just say, You would give yourself a container of time to do something. Usually, I think it was the chore. Like you'd say, I'm going to tackle this for 10 minutes. And I'm going to tell my kids, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to clean this kitchen for 10 minutes. I'm not going to finish it. I know that. But I'm going to get it to a place where I feel better about it. And then I'm going to go play Legos with you. That's what I'm going to do versus feeling like the endless amounts of time that we can spend in chores and we can spend doing something. We also talked about this, I remember, in like researching things. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Because you were like a very endless researcher of getting to like the right... best thing. ...shoes (laughs) and the right product for your child and whatever, the very best. I have a very similar tendency. So I totally know what you're talking about. And you would just say like, I'm going to give myself this amount of time, whatever it was, 30 minutes, an hour. And then I will be done at the end of this. Like, You learn how to give yourself containers for these things instead of letting it be endless, which
1: like takes all your time away. You've been talking about like the closing out the end of the day thing. We could work forever, right? Like, and so I'm like, oh, the clock, it's slowly approaching the time I have to go pick up my son. Okay, I've got 10 minutes to finish this thing. I'm going to set the timer. I'm going to do it and then I'm going to leave. And you'd be amazed how like productive you can be in that time. Like it's amazing.
0: Procrastinators often talk about the need for urgency, right? Like we can get into it if we have urgency, right? And so it's true for pretty much everyone. Most people can get stuff done when it feels urgent. It's when it doesn't feel very urgent <laughs> that we give ourselves endless amounts of time to do something, or we just don't commit to it at all. And so what you're doing in that time is you're giving yourself a deadline, like you're giving yourself false sense of urgency, but you're creating it for yourself. And it works as long as your brain sees that there's a reason that you're giving yourself an end point. Like in this case, at the end of the workday, it's like, then I'm going to go spend time with my family. And that feels more important to me than accomplishing one more thing on my task or whatever. So I'm just going to contain my time here. This is why I'm doing it because it's going to let me walk out the door and feel like I'm totally present with my family. Oh, so good. Yeah. And tell me about this emotions one. The tool is containers, learning how to contain things. And the two containers we really thought about a lot were time containers and then emotion containers. So talk about that one.
1: The emotion one, we talked about a little before about like acknowledging the feelings or the emotional state that I was in, right? Like my brain normally just wants to skip over that and then just work on like, as you would say, the actions. Like, what am I gonna do? How am I gonna make myself not feel this way? How am I gonna fix this? Right, and so- Recently, you know, I think maybe six months ago, we were talking about the returning to the office thing. Right. Like and I was like talking about how like I was just really sad about missing people and not being there to connect with them. And you pause me and you're like, you need to take some time and to just be sad about it. It's OK. We don't know. It may or may not return to it. And I went like, oh, well, I'm just wanted to fix it. I just wanted to find solutions. So I didn't feel that way.
0: Yeah. You were like, how can I spend more time with people? Where do I need to go? Maybe there's a different workspace I can be in. Right, right. Yep. You started to troubleshoot and you started to, and this is so common for our brains to take something icky that we're feeling. In this case, it was just kind of sadness and then label that as being like, I shouldn't be feeling sad. Oh, maybe this means this isn't the right job for me because I don't know if we're going to be returning to the office. And if we don't return to the office, then maybe I'm kind of in the wrong place. Exactly. Because I really need to be around people, right? So we take the icky emotion and then we extrapolate that out as having a really deep meaning about something like we've made the wrong choice or, you know, something is wrong or off versus like, oh, or or it's just kind of sad. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. We haven't been together for two years and that sucks. And that's it, you know? Tell me in that example like what did it look like to give yourself a container of time to feel sad?
1: I don't know if this one was really a container per se. After we talked, you know, in our weekly call, I went like, I just need to like be sad for as long as I need for this one. It's not like I made a decision and I like I'm sad about the decision or whatever. Like this one I was like I just really need to let myself be sad and I think it was like for like a whole week where I was like, wow, I am really really sad about this. I miss people I think you even shared it with people, if I remember. I did. And that was one thing we talked about, just being more open. And I even said to my husband that night at dinner, like, I said, I don't need you to say anything back. I said, I just want to tell you I'm really sad about not being in the office, you know, like, and he just shook his head, you know. And I think even by telling him, like, I don't expect you to have an answer or like, give me advice, like, we don't need to fix this. I just want to tell you. Yeah. And I think as I told more people, it just really helped me be okay with that and just realize, like, yeah, it's the reality. It's where we're at. There isn't much I can do about it, but there are some things I can do about it. And then I went, you know, as I processed those feelings and the thoughts I was having and the emotions, certainly coming up, like, you know, remembering things that happened that made me so happy. Cause like you said, like, and then it made me question things about my job, which I love. And I was like, why am I getting in this place? Like, this is weird. Like, and then naturally it made me go into, like, I think our next session was about like all the things I love about where I work and my job and my people. And I was like, wow, I can still do all those things from home. It has nothing to do with those things. Yeah. And this was one of the things
0: that we were doing to calm down your brain through this process is we were helping to normalize situations and emotions that don't feel so good. We're normalizing that and then basically omitting from your brain all of the rest of the crap where your brain wants to take you, all of the options, all of the like, I got to fix this, like constantly ruminating about it. Or constantly like telling yourself scripts or then starting to wonder about this decision and if there's something else in there, right? All of that other stuff that your brain wants to take it, you know, we basically, you just stopped. All of that stopped because you're like, or I could just be sad and that'd be enough. And then I don't have to let my brain go all of these different places. Yeah, I love that so much. Let's talk about one of these other tools that we've been chatting about. I really want to talk about this first one that you had listed here as we were prepping for this call and you labeled it really knowing who I am. I'm calling that a tool (laughs) because I think it is a tool to have language and belief around who you are at the core. So tell me about
1: this one. I remember when we first started coaching, you were like, who are you? I'm like, oh, I'm a mom this is my job and I live here. And those were the things I, you know, I'm a wife and a, you know, a daughter and I would define myself by those roles. You kept saying over and over, like, you are not defined by your job, by being a mom. Those are things about you. And I'm like, yeah, but without those things, like, who am I? And we first started, I, you offer these workbooks that we worked through. And I remember going through them. There's was one on core values, your purpose in life and your life dreams. And I think we went through them over like a six month period and I was like, I'm, you know, I'm all in here, so I'm going to fill them out. I'm going to do the homework. We're going to talk about them. And I remember thinking like, okay, these are nice. Now, now let's go on working and fixing the rest of me. And it wasn't until I think our second round of coaching where like, we went back to those workbooks and I was like, I did all that hard work. I spent the time on them. Wow. I reread them about, you know. I'll kind of go through a couple of things about me, my identity. Like, I'm a person who wants to listen. I want to be able to show up better for others, open my mind to like new perspectives. I love to mentor people. I love to realize their full potential through how I can help them at work and at home. I'm an organizer. I love to like bring people together, whether it's experiences or like things that we can connect with. I love adventure, right? And I love, Energizing people, like helping fill up other people's tanks, and also realizing what's important to me. Right. And it was really the output of those workbooks and realizing it through our conversations every week, where I started to make small changes in my life. Maybe I started like new behaviors and new habits. Right. And I prioritized the things that were really important to me because I remembered those things and they aligned to my core values. And it was just like really amazing how those things just came together through our coaching. They weren't just like activities that I went through on my own and like kind of stored them away somewhere on my computer. I'm able to use them, especially my core values in a lot of my day-to-day decisions. And I never, ever anticipated that would happen.
0: I love that. And some of it's on default and then some of it's very intentional, like it comes to your brain very specifically. (laughs) I love the idea that I tell people all the time, this isn't self-discovery for self-discovery's sake. Like it doesn't. Who cares about naming these things and understanding who you are if it's just for (laughs) self-actualization? That isn't what we're doing here in coaching. The goal is to understand, know who you really are so that you see yourself as amazing, (laughs) that you see yourself as a badass, that you see yourself as having you know, really valuable skill sets. i call calling of my superpowers, yeah. <laughs> like, yes, know. your superpower, that you have a superpower so that when decisions don't go the way that you want them to go, or when you have a moment that you scream at your kids because everybody has those moments, or you have a time that you don't get the project done in the time that you wanted to, or you miss a deadline, or you don't do as well in a presentation, you know, all of these little moments of, you know, we'll call it, quote, failure, even though we're very much labeling it in that way. I don't actually think of it as failure. But for the sake of this conversation, you know, we see them as being very negative. We don't take those moments and then use that to, like, define ourselves by that and then, like, live in this narrative of all of our failure. And we've, like, built up an arsenal of understanding and ideas and language to describe yourself that you can be like, well, yeah, that didn't work out so well, but... <laughs> I know that this is really what I bring to the table. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) Like, this isn't a problem. And so it helps to depersonalize all of the things that don't go in our favor in life. Because of course, that's going to happen. We can't control that. It's not about trying to control it. It's about trying to control the way you respond to those things. And when you're feeling really awesome about yourself and you're thinking really awesome things about yourself, those moments don't affect you.
1: They've really been like a safety net for me, especially in times where I have really strong emotions, like feeling sad or like disappointed in myself or like confused, I go back to those things. I'm like, well, what is important to me? Like, is this thing even aligned with my core values? No, it doesn't. Okay, well, let's stop doing it. Why am I worrying about this thing?
0: It doesn't matter. Then it doesn't matter. Let's let it go. Yeah, let's move on. Which is again, how we like, as a piece of really calming down your brain, it just allowed you to use it as a filter and say like, I don't need to keep thinking about this. Like, this isn't important to me. I don't need to dwell in this. I know that this isn't what defines me. It doesn't matter. And you just like, stop, move on. Exactly. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, I love the idea that you had. And I think you even said that you're like, I'm not quite sure how this is going to help make me happier or be less anxious. But I'm willing. I love that. Exactly. Such an amazing client as you were like, I hear you. And so I'm just going to follow along in the process. You know, I'm going to assume it's working uh-huh.
1: <laughs> and here we go. Like full circle.
0: For sure. I love that. <sighs> so
1: good. Yeah. And I remember when it was right before we met, like maybe four months ago or so, you know, one of our sessions and it clicked. It was like, I went, Oh, That's what they're for. I was like, oh my God, like, this is amazing. The feeling of knowing that those were there. And I was like, wow, those are always there. I created those things. They're always going to be there for me. Nobody can take them away from me. Nobody else can change them. (laughs) It was an amazing feeling. The
0: idea of redirecting your brain there, because that's really what you're doing in these moments. Let's use the example, because I remember we talked about this a couple of times. And if I'm really honest, I'm struggling with it right now with my son. Like, getting my son dressed and getting his shoes on in the morning. I have an almost five year old. You have a, he's almost six, right? Yeah, almost six. Yeah, yeah. But we're yeah. both in like the same place in dealing with this. And I know so many moms deal with this, like getting them out the door and getting their shoes on. This is a moment of constant battle, right? And so, with really knowing who you are, you're going to have moments though, of course, where you're not calm, where you're very frustrated. I think I've admitted this on the podcast. If I haven't, I'm about to open like what feels like a closet that could be somewhat shameful, but I'm choosing to not say that it's shameful at all. But I got so frustrated at my son not that long ago, and he was just like kicking his shoes around. I finally picked up the shoe and I threw it out the door. <laughs> I threw it down the stairs and out the door. And then... You know, about 30 seconds later, I went back and I got it. And then I apologized and I went through the whole thing. But I had this moment of like, I couldn't control my anger so much, that I took the shoe and I threw it, right? And in that moment, that's a really extreme emotion. And you were having these moments too with your son. And you can either choose to think like, I am a horrible mom. What good mom would open the door and take their son's shoe and throw it as hard as possible out? The door. Who would do that? Every mom.
1: <laughs> Every mom.
0: <laughs> That's- but you don't think that in the moment. You think, of course, that you're the only one that ever gets, you know, frustrated with it. So of course that sat with me for a while. I remember crying. I think I dropped him off and I, like, I had a moment where I needed to feel those feelings that were coming up, right? So before I got into my workday. So I had my moments and all of that. But for what we're talking about is like, I could choose to dwell there and I could think about that and replay it over and over and over again. And I can tell myself how terrible a mom I am and I shouldn't be angry and I shouldn't have all of this stuff. I could go in that. That's all true. I did actually open the door and throw the shoe at the door. So I could stay there or I can acknowledge that it happened and I can move over to these other thoughts about myself what makes me an amazing mom, how patient I often am, so much more than I think, you know, even other people are. If I were to compare myself, which I try not to do, but I do see like patience as a superpower, just not in this moment. <laughs> my compassion, my ability to like sit in emotion with my kids, like I create so much fun for my kids. Like there's all of these things that I do well. And because I've done the work to name it, it's really easy for my brain. When I'm ready to redirect it to say, okay, let's really think about how amazing I am, though. Exactly. Yep. That's one of my examples. I don't know.
1: Do you have an example similar to me? In those situations, (laughs) like I probably would have thrown the shoe too, you know? But I think another thing, like to add on to that, that I would do is using them as opportunities to talk to him about emotions because. I think a lot of us don't talk about emotions and sometimes we want our kids to suppress them because we want them to go away, just like we want our own emotions to go away. Right. And I've started saying to the, like my son, if that happened to me, I'd be like, hey, buddy, look, I was really frustrated. Right. Like I really wanted to get us out of the door and I really shouldn't have thrown that shoe. You know, sometimes we just get so overwhelmed and I'd love a chance to like redo that. I've been trying to live this like redo thing. I love that. And to say, like, we all make mistakes, right? Like, next time I won't throw that shoe and next time I'll, you know, you know what I would have loved to have done in that moment? Maybe I would go in the bathroom and scream for a minute and shut the door. (laughs) Maybe that'd be better than throwing the shoe. But I think just like acknowledging to him that, like, that is life. We're people, right? We're humans. And like, we all have those strong emotions and there's different ways that we could handle them. And I shouldn't have thrown the shoe, you know?
0: (laughs) We could probably point to that being a part of what is really important to you. Yes. As a value as a mom, and probably there's authenticity. I don't have your values in front of me, but like authenticity and honesty are really important to you. And so you learn how to like harness some of that in these moments. And then your brain remembers like, see, (laughs) yes, we're human and we have these moments. And here's also like how I handled it. And I'm amazing. I love it. Okay. Let's talk about another one let's talk about creating systems for yourself. Because I know for a lot of people, it's the constant to-do list in your head. That's one of the things that is hard to calm down your brain is you're thinking about all the things you haven't accomplished, whether that's you get home from work and you're thinking about all the things you didn't do at work that day, or your household chore duty list is like a mile long and you need to figure that out. Or sometimes it's just systematizing. It was the artwork. And I want you to share a little bit about this story. It was like, My kids bring home an immense amount of artwork. My kids do too. Like, what am I supposed to do with these things? And then they sit everywhere and it clutters the house, but it clutters your brain because you're, should I hold on to this? Is there meaning behind this? Am I going to regret not having this? How are they going to feel if I like throw this away? Am I a bad mom if I don't really want to keep... These are all the thoughts like that every time you see the artwork sitting on the table that you haven't dealt with, they all flood in. And now you have a host of thoughts that are like, cluttering up your brain. So tell me about the artwork because that was such a great moment. It really was. And by the way, our
1: system's fallen apart a little bit, but we've got a plan to get it back on track. But your art system is falling apart. My art system's falling apart just a little bit. I know. But like, I hear you. I hear you. Got a plan. But honestly, some of the parts of it are still working really well. So like we would take it out of everyone's bags and backpacks and we just pile it on the kitchen counter. Right. And it'd be there for like a week, maybe two weeks. And for me, like it was a constant reminder early on in our coaching of how like, I just couldn't handle things, right? Like my list is long. And then I see this pile. And I'm like, that's just a confirmation that you can't handle this. Like, there's just more than you can handle. It was always there. And I remember asking you, like, what do I do about this thing? And we talked about all the feelings that I had and the thoughts like that I just mentioned to you. And, and once we got through all of that, you started asking me questions about like, how I want to feel when I look at that artwork, I want to feel happy when I see it. I, I want it to remind me of how like creative my kids are, or like maybe it has like a sentimental value. Like maybe it's like a Mother's Day, you know, picture of them, right? Like, and you said like, well, like let's start to categorize some of those things. And I went, well, that's a really good idea because you're right. They don't all hold the same amount of value and weight, right? And so we did. The scribbly lines that come home versus
0: the time that it clearly they spent to like create something. Exactly. 100% different.
1: (laughs) Yes. And so you were like, write down the buckets. And I was so I remember typing them out in my notes, right? And then as we started doing that, I realized, yeah, like, I need to make a system out of this, right? And so we got some little like 3M clips that I put like, you know, eight of them up on the wall. I said, I'd really like for some of them to be on display. You were like, no, back up a minute. When it comes into the house, like, how are we gonna handle it? And I was like, okay, well, uh, you know, I'm gonna need a pile here for the the things I want to keep. I'm gonna need a pile for the things I want to hang, and then have to get over some of that and just throw out the things, like you said, the squiggly things or the like, you know, the random half drawn things. And I've learned, you know, I hope my son never listens to this podcast, but like when he's asleep at night, that's when I put them all in the recycling bin. Right? Amen. <laughs> I mean, it's like that is where they go. Or sometimes I have my husband. I'm like, you need to throw these away for me because I wasn't the person who threw them away. You know, and occasionally he's found them in there. Oh, what's good? This? Why is this in here? And I'm like, who? Who put that in there? Oh my gosh! Totally, the recycling's
0: going out, and I'm like, oh man, I should have thrown that one outside where he was never going to see it. <laughs> exactly.
1: But yeah, so it either like it gets thrown out. It either goes on display or it goes immediately into like a sentimental box. And I'll write on it, like, you know, the year, the date, maybe the teacher's name, right? Like, and it feels so good. And so there is a pile on the kitchen counter that we have a backlog right now. But to have it come in and to know, I don't have to ask myself, what am I going to do with this thing? Oh, it makes me feel really bad because I have no idea, right? I already know where it goes. Do I like it enough? Yes or no? Like, it's super simple, right? Yeah. Let's talk though about even. The moment where you kind of realize I
0: need a system for it. Because we created several systems together for a variety of things that were feeling overwhelming to you. But it's a tool because when our brain constantly wants to remind us of things like this, it's like a moment where our brain is trying to say to us, hey, you should create a system for this. You know, a system's going to help you not think about this anymore. I'm curious about just system building generally and kind of what you've learned about that. And how do you know when you're supposed to create a system and kind of go from
1: there? I think that like, at least for me, things that I encounter over and over, probably in the same week, like, uh, you know, returns. Like I think we all, at least amongst my friends and I were always like, ah, oh, I gotta go do my returns today. You know, like um, The
0: Amazon returns.
1: I'd be overwhelmed by those. I wouldn't have a place for them. And then, you know, my husband would say, I've got a return. And I'm like, well, I don't know what to do with that. You know, it's so we created a box and you do your stuff online, you put your label on, you put it in my box. And then somebody's going to take it eventually. Exactly. Right. And then I make a time in my calendar to go and do that, those returns. Right. It's things that I kept encountering over and over that were likely overwhelming you. I, my guess is
0: like the emotion that kept coming up was like overwhelm or like anxiety, like, oh, I should do something with that. Like you, when you hear yourself say that, It's your brain saying, yes, do something, systematize it. Like you can do this. It's like a clue. It's not a moment that you have to like judge yourself and feel bad and terrible that you don't know what to do. It's like, oh, you should do something with this. Like there's a decision to be made here. And even if we talk about creating systems as being almost like decisions, because I think it happens in the same way in our brain. I like the idea of like when something happens over and over and over again. This happens for me sometimes, particularly like in parenting. If I'm struggling with my son to get his shoes on every single day, every single day, I could do the same thing tomorrow that I did the last two weeks that have created the same result of him like running around the house, you know, and not getting his shoes on, or I could choose to try something different. (laughs) It's amazing how it takes us a while to clue in. It's like, oh, Maybe I just need to make a different decision about that.
1: <laughs> and we talked about that too. I remember at one point you said, well, you got really into the details when we on the shoe thing. And you're like, tell me about the shoes. And I'm like, oh boy, here we go. You know, I'm like, well, I'm like, there's a bin of for my daughter who's two, loves to pick out her own shoes. And you asked me about the shoes. Tell me about the shoes in the bin. I'm like, okay, well, there's like four pairs of sneakers and maybe boots. And there's like some shoes in there that I don't want her to wear. And you stopped me you're like, why are there shoes you don't want her to wear in the bin? And I went, a really great question. And so I immediately went downstairs after our call. I said, wow, there should only be shoes in here that she's allowed to wear. I was like, that's a novel idea. <laughs> like, like, So now like there are never shoes in there that I'm not willing to let her leave the house in that are appropriate. And it just makes my life so much easier. Right.
0: Yeah. This moment of like when it keeps coming up, it's a moment that you need to decide what you're going to do or create a system so that it never comes up again. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Another way of like clearing out your brain that you don't have to think about that thing over and over and over again, or you don't have to experience the same exact emotion or whatever, you know, over and over and over again, like you can do something about that. <laughs> you could create a system, you could make a different choice. Exactly. Yep. I love that. Yeah. The getting out of the house list. That was one conversation that we had. And it could be challenging if you don't have a system that you're following, that's going to get the lunch and it's going to get the jackets, going to get the shoes and and then for me, as my daughter is older than yours, your oldest, and now we're getting to the point of how do I equip her to do some of these things so much more on her own? And what are my expectations? And I realize when I'm battling my own expectations, hey, it's a moment that I can systematize this. Like, we should have a conversation. What do I expect of her? I probably have never told her that and start to realize that. So I don't continue to ruminate on what's going on and what, how I, everything is going wrong and exactly, <laughs> I don't let my brain go there. Problem solving tools. Let's talk a little bit about some of your problem solving tools.
1: I think the biggest thing that you helped me uncover was that I already have all the answers and I already know how to find the answers. And I think the other biggest thing is there is no right or wrong answer. It's just that like I get to decide any answer is a good answer. When would you find yourself getting stuck
0: in like indecision or kind of going back and forth all the time? I
1: think one of the best examples I have is probably in like some meetings at work where I would, you know, sort of look ahead at my day and get some meetings. And sometimes a feeling of dread would come over me. And it was more about like, oh, I don't know what to expect in this meeting. I don't really know how this person is going to, you know, accept my work or be open to my ideas. Right. The same feeling of being an analysis paralysis would come up in those meetings or sorry, in that moment where I'd be like, oh, my God, like, you know, I just go in this downward spiral of like, oh, like, you know, like so many emotions that I didn't want to feel in those moments.
0: I remember this like all the way back in our very first call together, our breakthrough call where you would say, I actually would just start denying that, like I would start moving them. I'd come up with an excuse not to have meetings or have these meetings and I push them back because I was so... Ridden with like anxiety over it, and I didn't know what to do, and I didn't know how to approach it, and so forth.
1: Be like, oh, easiest thing for me to do is push this off to tomorrow. Yep, let's go do that. Now the feeling's gone, right? Like I can move on and doing that, right? Like you're never gonna like make progress. Learn and grow and become a better person and contribute to your teams if you're constantly doing that. Same thing with projects, I assume. Like, oh, yes. Oh, yeah.
0: There'd be a task or something that you didn't know how to do or was kind of new to you or was challenging and you just avoid, push it off, push the deadline off. Tell them it's not ready yet. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And then not make much progress on it, like, not do anything about it but just feel better because now you don't have to deal with it today.
1: Exactly. And it's holding me back. I realized like, now this is holding me back and I have to figure out how to how to deal with this. And I remember you told me, you're like, you actually have all the answers. You know how to find them. You already know how to do this. And you said that and I was like, do I? What do you mean? How do I? <laughs> right? And there are no right or wrong approaches to this. Like I get to choose how I want to tackle this or how I want to handle it. So we started talking about what are the feelings I'm having here. As we do with everything, I write them all down, right? Like, well, I'm feeling unprepared or I'm feeling uncertain or I'm not feeling really confident in my position or my approach. And once I was able to like work through all of those feelings and not be like, oh, how do I suppress that feeling? But like, OK, well, how do I deal with the feeling of being unprepared? OK, well, what would I do? Well, that's easy. Like, and you asked me that. I was like, oh, of course I know how to deal with that. That was what you were getting at. You already know how to deal with that what would Kathy do when she's feeling unprepared? Oh, well, I would like write down, okay, here's what I want to get out of this meeting or like, here's my pitch, like, or something. You know, even this week, I found myself looking at my calendar ahead, like, okay, I need to prepare for this thing so that I go in and I just feel really confident about what I want to get out of it. And even acknowledging it, you want to push that out. No, Kathy, you're not going to push that out. You always said once, like, thank you for that thought, but it's not useful is what I say to myself. <laughs> like, thanks, appreciate that, Kathy, but nah, like... <laughs> I could push it out and feel better now, or I could
0: just do it now. And I will also feel better. It's always about a feeling, right? It's always about trying to like either avoid or get past a feeling. And there are helpful ways to do that. And then there are not so helpful ways to do that. Ultimately.
1: Exactly. So good. And I always thank myself at the end. And I'm like, thank you for sticking through it with me. You know, like, because it's always worth it. Oh, that's so good. Yes. And to have those like in your back pocket, be like, no, remember that one time where you did that and it w- turned out really well. Now things got done sooner or they got done more efficiently or whatever it is. I like to say to myself
0: like, okay, if I had the answer, what would I think? What's my hunch about this? You know, and I often will say that to my clients, but I say it to myself too, like, okay, I know that I'm feeling stuck and I'm feeling overwhelmed or I'm feeling not prepared or I feel like I don't know, but if I did know, or if I thought I knew at least what's my hunch about that? Okay. Why do I think that that's probably the right answer or the right direction? You know? And then I start to make it like a supporting argument for it. And it's like, okay, okay. And then by the time you get through all of that, you're like, yeah, there's probably not a better answer than that. That's right. Like that's learning how to access what is inside of you. Right. (laughs) And so often when people talk about confidence they think that that means being an expert at something. It means like you have the answer, you have the right answer, you know exactly what to do when confidence is really about being able to move forward on like really good hunches (laughs) and just trusting that it'll probably work out. And if it doesn't, that's fine. That doesn't mean that I made a wrong decision or that I'm bad or I'm a horrible human being or whatever, like I'm not a bad worker. Like I'm just going to make a different decision. (laughs) And confidence is like moving forward despite not being an expert and having 100% certainty about something. Every time you do that, you're just continuing to like hone in on that confidence and build that up and say, no, I have the answers. I can find the answers. And my guess is over time, as you continue to practice this, like it will feel so much like you won't have the resistance to it as much. And maybe you will and maybe you won't. But my guess is as you create a habit for it and you continue to tell your brain, like, I have the answers, I can do this, you won't have as resistance to it.
1: Exactly. And you've also said it's like making a plan And knowing that you can change it, but you've also used the term like experimenting with it, like try it out. If it doesn't work, you don't have to do it again. And to tell my brain that too is like it's reassuring. It's like you could try it out if if you don't like it or it didn't work. You know, let's do it again. Like that's cool. Let's do it. You know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, this isn't a one and done. You can change your mind. What you can change your mind. You can make a different decision. We're like one of the only animals on this earth that has the ability to make choices and decide different choices and reevaluate choices based on outcome. Like for sure, it's what makes us intelligent beings ultimately. (laughs) It's so good. Oh, this is so much fun. Okay. So we've talked about containers of time and containers of emotions. And we've talked about knowing really who you are and kind of that safety net of knowing who you are. So you don't define yourselves by past failures or, you know, emotional outbursts or whatever. We've talked about creating systems for yourself. And we've talked about believing you have all of the answers within you. So you don't procrastinate, you don't push things off and you build up that confidence. Like these are amazing tools, Kathy. (laughs) Thank you for sharing these. I think this is so valuable for people that really want to learn how to Calm down their brain and get rid of all of the mental clutter and feel happier. That was the whole goal of all of this, right? You were like, it's like, I can't even be happy. I've got so many things going on in my brain and none of it is like making me feel happy. (laughs) Oh, I love it so much. I'm curious why, knowing what you know now, what would you have said to yourself about going forward and investing in yourself and investing in coaching, making an investment in yourself? no matter how much money it is. I mean, for some people, it's like getting their nails done. That's an investment all the way up to thousands of dollars on yourself for your mental health and in coaching. you know. But knowing what you know now, what would you have said to yourself then as you were contemplating going through the coaching process? And then you did it again. And I remember you had a lot of thoughts about like, should I continue? Tell me some of your thoughts now.
1: Knowing what I know now, I think the biggest thing was like, I needed the consistency. I needed someone else to hold me accountable. Actually, I knew I needed all those things, but I didn't know how important it would be to go through it. And the exercises that we did, like, you know, the workbooks and even like the structure, right? Like, and I kept meticulous notes from every one of our sessions, right? Because I wanted it to be durable, but I didn't know as I'm going through all those things, even like I said, the workbooks, I didn't know how transformational they would have been. I think transformational is the best word. Like I just thought maybe I'd come out with like a few different ways of thinking about myself. But like these tools here, they're huge. I have pages of notes here and of how to use these and moments in time that we specifically talked about where I can go back and my I can remember that, how I felt, how I couldn't handle that in the moment. Like I just didn't know how transformational it would have been. I mean, I'd done a little bit of career coaching in the past and it was for very specific. Situations or a project, right? But this was like so holistic of me as a person and what I want out of my life. So it's almost like the investment in just
0: being happy in the moment was enough. But now that you know the transformation that took place, you are forever changed, ultimately. Like we didn't just get you out of a hole, we built a mountain for you to be on where you feel confident where you can problem solve where you feel more decisive where you feel calmer where you feel more present where you feel happier and it's not just today these things are lingering with you over the course of the year and you will forever have these tools and this different way of knowing yourself and what's possible for you i love that it it was an
1: investment in 10 years from now and it affects everyone that i interact with and you know live with right as well too which uh it's exponential in that way as well, too. Like it helps me be a better mom, a better wife, a better manager, a better coworker. you know, like a better neighbor. I just think of all the people that I've focused on through this as well in learning more about myself and what I want. I think that their lives have been touched and made better, too.
0: Yeah, for sure. I remember multiple times she would come to our calls and you'd be like, yeah, I had that conversation or I did something and my husband stopped in his tracks and was like, yeah, <laughs> You would not have used to respond in that way.
1: I know. Oh, that was the spilled milk,
0: milk an entire bowl of cereal. Yeah, that's right. The spilled milk. And you would have like flipped out and made a big reaction. Instead, I was like, no, that sucks. Let's clean it up. Like, it's not a big deal. Like, And then your husband paused. It's like, who, who am I too? Like, I
1: know. What is going on? Yeah, you
0: said the same thing. You're like, whoa, that reaction was exactly
1: what I wanted it to be. I know. Everyone just like, stops in their tracks. like
0: That's just such a beautiful thing to remember when we make any investment in ourselves. And it feels very selfish in some way to do that. The reality is you being a better version of you not only affects everyone else, but you're investing in what will be the rest of your life. And And ultimately, the question is, is that worth it
1: for anyone to ask themselves? I think it's like the ultimate self-care it's great to go get a massage and go get your nails done and like you know get a cut and color right like i was in a sauna last night so i hear you on that yeah felt good and we will still do those things but like this one was like so much more and like you said it will last a lifetime
0: oh love it thank you again kathy for being here this is so great yes oh thank you for having me i have a feeling we're gonna get so much more wisdom out of you even in the future (laughs) so i love it All right, working moms, we'll see you next week. Hey, before you go, I wanna take a moment and tell you about an opportunity to speak with me directly. If you've been listening to this podcast and still feel like you need help balancing a fulfilling career with motherhood, then I encourage you to schedule a free breakthrough call. On this call, we will get crystal clear on exactly what it is you want out of your career and how you want to balance that with motherhood. And then we'll craft next steps for you to start moving toward a more calm and fulfilling working mom life. Head over to www.rebeccaolsoncoaching.com forward slash book to apply for this free call. Till next week and working moms, let's get to it.